Welcome to Saving Grace Church, located in Indiana, Pennsylvania. Our mission at Saving Grace Church is to love God, love others, and reach the world for Christ. We hope that this message brings you closer to God and helps strengthen your walk with Christ. Holy Spirit, we thank you that your word is a gift to us, and we thank you that you illuminate your word, and we want to see more of you and your purposes and your plans for us as your people, and we pray that would happen this morning. We pray that we would all encounter you and be encouraged from your word. We ask this in your name. Amen. If you have a Bible, turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. If this is your first Sunday or you just uh, are visiting today, we have been going through a series on spiritual gifts covering um, all that Paul has to say on the subject from 1 Corinthians chapter 12 through chapter 14. And we took, we had a guest speaker last week and so now we're jumping back into the subject and I'm excited to jump back in. We're gonna hit the subject of spiritual gifts next week as well. Then we're gonna take a month break and go into the Psalms. Then we're gonna pick up spiritual gifts um, in July again and get through to chapter 14. At least that's the plan. So hopefully that's what will happen. Um, as we said so far in this series that the, the idea of 1 Corinthians is a really cool letter because what, what scholars think happened is that the Christians in Corinth wrote questions to the Apostle Paul. So if you've ever had questions about the Bible or um, spiritual things and you needed answers, they, they sent their, their questions right to the Apostle Paul and under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he then penned the answers back. And so uh, verse one of chapter 12 starts a new topic, a new question that they have asked and this is what he says. Uh, verse one, now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. So he wants them, he wants us to be instructed about the spiritual gifts that God has given to his people who have trusted in Jesus. And then for the three chapters that follow, he gives great detail about the subject. Today we are going to get to uh, look at verses 27 through 31 of chapter 12. So we're kind of at the tail end of the chapter. And then next week we will uh, begin chapter 13. Got a weird way to start this, this sermon today, but hopefully it'll make sense in a moment. So I need your imaginations, okay? And if you were here the last few weeks, the Apostle Paul often uses the human body um, as an analogy for the church, okay? So we got that part. That part's clear. Just nod your head. Got it. So what I want you to do, it's going to seem weird at first, but just, just humor me for a moment. I want you to imagine that you are a size 13 foot. Very specific. You are a size 13 foot. Okay? Got that? Or if you don't want to be a foot, I want you to imagine that you are a hand, and not any hand, but from your thumb to your pinky, it measures 11.375 inches. So you're either a size 13 foot or a hand that from your thumb to your pinky measures 11.375 inches. So I don't know what you think about that, but if you wanted to be a big foot, that would be good. If you want to have a large hand, that's cool. But imagine that you discover 
you are this size 13 foot of none other than Michael Jordan himself. Or your hand that measured, whatever I just said, uh, 11.375 inches is actually the expanse of Michael Jordan's hand. Imagine your um, a quad of Michael Jordan at his peak and pinnacle in the 80s that could, could dunk from the foul line. See, it's one thing to, have, um, to be a part of a body, but it's another thing to be identified with the body. And so it's one thing to be a large foot or a large hand, but when you discover you're not just some random part of a human body, but you happen to be arguably part of the greatest basketball player that has ever played the game of basketball, it suddenly gives you a whole new significance to just being a hand or being a foot, being a leg. No, you are part of something far, far greater. Well, what the Apostle Paul is doing in chapter 12, he keeps working and looking at the analogy of the human body and the church from a whole bunch of different angles. For, for most of the section of chapter 12, he's pointing out all the, the diversity that is in the human body and how that applies to the church and, and specifically how it applies to people that are gifted in a, a wide variety of ways. And it's this beautiful diversity and variety. But today, he's going to circle back around, and he wants us to be uh, persuaded and convinced that no matter what part of the body we are, of the body of Jesus Christ, we should marvel and be blown away with the fact that we are actually part of the body of Jesus Christ. So it might be a weird analogy to start with, but I bet you won't forget it. So look at verse 27. There's some things I run by my family ahead of time. That one I didn't do, but um, there've been a lot worse, I'm sure. Uh, so look at verse 27. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. And God has appointed in the church, first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administrating, and various kinds of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all possess the gift of healing? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? But earnestly desire the higher gifts, and I will show you a still more excellent way. So remember, the subject is spiritual gifts. And in context, if you read the letter, one of the primary issues in the church in Corinth was, was pride, was arrogance and division. And so they were very gifted. They were particularly gifted in the more spectacular or miraculous gifts, but they were not humble and they were not always loving toward one another. And so when he gets to verse 27, he wants to remind the whole church and each individual, no matter how God has made you, no matter what gifts God has given to you, you should marvel and be blown away by the fact that now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. So our first point, we're gonna spend... Um, quite a bit of time here because I think we can just read this and, and move on and, and miss what the Lord wants us to get here. First point is every believer in Jesus Christ is part of the body of Christ. 
You could even say from this passage, every believer in Jesus Christ is the body of Christ. So this might seem somewhat obvious, but it's profound. I want you to just consider some scriptures that will kind of paint the picture that there is a profound reality if you are in Christ. If you have turned from your sins and trusted in Jesus, you should be blown away by the fact that you are part of the body of Christ. Just like uh, Michael Jordan's foot, or let's say you're um, a musician, a great um, violin player, or um, a great dancer, the fact that you are part of something that is far greater. The moment you trusted in Jesus, you became part of the body of Christ. Let me just read some scriptures to get our minds around this. This is in 1 Peter 2, 9 and 10. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may pro proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into the marvelous light. Now listen to this. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. For every single one of us, there was a moment in time where we were not part of God's family. We were not part of the body of Christ. The only way you became part is through the miracle of being made spiritually alive, being born again, or the, the Bible uses the term regeneration. And when that happened, you turned from your sins, you trusted in Jesus Christ, and you were grafted in to God's family, God's body. That is an amazing reality. And so what, what the Apostle Paul is trying to do here is take our attention for a moment away from our particular part we play in the body of Christ and just help us to be amazed we are in the body of Christ. That is an amazing, amazing reality. Listen to this description. This is in 2 Corinthians 5, 17 through 21. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Be, behold, the new has come. All this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself. And when we were reconciled, we became part of his body and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that we might become the righteousness of God. So we should be in awe that we are the body of Christ. I mean, think about where you live or where you work or the people you interact with. In some uh, situations, you may be the only representation of the body of Christ that a non-Christian ever interacts with. That is an incredible privilege. We are the body of Christ because we have been saved by Jesus and brought 
into the family. See, knowing that should really affect and influence how we live. This is one of the points that Paul's trying to make to the original recipients, that it matters if you are part of God's body. It matters how you treat one another. It matters how you live in this lost and dying world. A couple more scriptures to get our, our, our minds turning here. Ephesians 1, 22 and 23. And he, this is talking about Jesus, put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, to the church which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. We who have called on Jesus are Christ's body. We're where Christ dwells. And we're what the world sees. And so it matters how we live. It matters how we live in obedience to the Lord and it matters how we treat one another. Listen to what Paul said to Timothy in, in uh, 1 Timothy 3, 14 and 15. I hope to come to you soon, but I'm writing these things to you so that if I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of the truth. The church holds up the truth that the world desperately needs. And we are the church, not the building, but by relationship with God the Father through Jesus Christ. And then one more on the subject in Colossians. And he, Jesus, is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile all things to himself, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of the cross. The church that you and I are part of, the body that we have been brought into, is the most precious thing in the world. How do we know that? Because Jesus shed his perfect, innocent blood for his body so that we could be brought in. So we should, before we move past verse 27, we should marvel at this reality that now you are the body of Christ. It's, it's to affect everything about us. See, that the idea of a church isn't a place you come for a, on a certain day of the week for a certain amount of time. No, it's this whole family and community that God has purchased by the blood of his son to be his representative, to be sought in light in a world that is blind and stumbling. The Apostle Paul said this in Galatians 2.20, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. See, this relationship with the Lord should, should show up in all areas of our lives. Uh, I went to IUP as a college student. Um, I didn't go to Princeton. I didn't go to Yale. Um, I didn't go to an Ivy League school. I didn't apply to an Ivy League school. 
I was really excited when I got accepted to IUP. Um, but let's say my grades were higher and my grade point average was, was outstanding and my SAT scores were bumped up by like 600 points. Um, and I got into an Ivy League school. There would have been a, an expectation that I would be achieving at a certain level by the nature of being part of that Ivy League school, whatever it would be. Well, why is that? Because to, get, to be a part of that institution is you, you, are, you are signing into a, a, an academic and intelligence level that is above average, and it's just part of being a student. I like to watch YouTube videos at times, and for some reason I get on a kick of a uh, day in the life of an, of an Ivy League student. And so I've watched way too many videos about the day in the life of an Ivy League student. But these men and women would get up before the sun rises, and they would, I mean, their day was so rigorous from the moment they got up to the moment they went to bed because of what they were a part of. See, it influenced everything. It wasn't just that they were good test takers. No, they were all in and dedicated. Well, likewise, it should be like that, and even more so for us who are the body of Christ. Now, the beauty for us is God's Holy Spirit is in us and empowering us. So it's not just willpower or just effort that we're trying to, to work up. No, it's God himself working in us and through us. Paul describes it this way in Romans 6. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin for the one who has died has been set free from sin. Now if we die with Christ, we believe that we also live with him. We know that Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. In other words, we are so united with Christ the moment we became Christians that we can walk in this newness of life. And as a body, our behavior should be different. Our motives should be different. And we should be bright lights to a world that's just confused by just about everything. And a world that's looking for satisfaction in things that will never Satisfy. See, you and I, if you've trusted in Jesus, you are part of the body of Christ. Now, Paul's going to transition here in verse 28, which brings us to the second point. The body of Christ has a wide variety of members that serve in different capacities. So as he's been doing this chapter, he, he celebrates the diversity of gifts and, and callings that, that God gives but it's all under, we are part of one body in Christ. Now he's gonna get into some of the callings of God's people and some of the spiritual gifts of God's people. Once again, as we've said in other places, when they get to these lists, none of them are exhaustive. He's just hitting different categories uh, for different purposes. But the body of Christ has a wide variety of members that serve in different capacities. If you are a Christian, you have a place, you have gifts from the Lord that are unique and specific to you to be a part of the body of Christ. So he's going to jump into some of these. And some of these, I'll just tell you on the front end, we're going to open a can of worms and we'll, we'll see what happens. So 
And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administration, various kinds of tongues. And then he's going to ask these rhetorical questions. Are all apostles? No. That's his answer. Are all prophets? No. Are all teachers? No. Do all work miracles? No. Do all possess the gifts of healing? No. Do all speak in tongues? No. Do all interpret the gift of tongues? No. So let's go through. God gives a variety of gifts. And this list is kind of unique from some of his other lists in that he, he kind of does a couple of things that, that take a bit to get our mind around. The first thing he does is he numbers them. He says, first apostles, second prophets, third teachers. Now, if you're new to the church, our encouragement is always study the Bible for yourself and wrestle through things that maybe aren't clear. So there's a lot of debate on, is this a ranking of gifts and offices or is this a, a priority list? I, I think you can wrestle through that. Um, I would kind of lean with John Stott, who's a, a Bible commentator, that his, his opinion of this first, second, and third is these were the, the area of uh, immediate priority in the early church as God was establishing the New Testament church. But we're going to get into these things just a little bit. So the first, though, with um, apostles, prophets, and teachers, they seem to be in a separate category from the other spiritual gifts that he's going to list, list afterwards. So these are more appointments or specific callings, and then he's going to transition back to spiritual gifts. You may not agree with that. You are free to just, before the Lord, wrestle through these things. I would encourage you to do so. If you consult experts on the subject, you will see it is a wide variety of opinions. So um, we just wrestle through it and let the scriptures interpret the scriptures. So let's, let's first tackle apostles. So God calls and appoints specific individuals to certain offices. Um, the first on his list is the apostle. So the apostle, it literally means sent one. So we know what is crystal clear is there were 12 apostles or disciples of Jesus. Then Judas um, betrayed Jesus. Uh, he hung himself, and then they appointed um, a, another apostle to take his place. You see that in Acts chapter 1. And then Paul, the most unlikely of the apostles, um, is confronted by Jesus um, on the road to Damascus. So, so when, when you think of apostle proper, that would be the group. And so these guys had um, a unique authority. Um, a number of them wrote the Bible through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And so that was a, a unique office at that moment in time. But if you study the New Testament, there, if you count them up, you count the, the 13 that I just mentioned, and then you follow kind of the, the, the word apostle, you'll see that there's debatable 12 more. So there's about 25 people in the New Testament that fall under that umbrella. Uh, I think it's helpful to make a distinction between the original 12 uh, plus one plus Paul and then the others that are much more maybe in our day and age would be uh, the, these, these sent godly people that come with the gospel. They're your church planners, your, your, your missionaries, your pastors of pastors, this extra local ministry that you see. And I, I think that gift 
still exists. I, I particularly don't think that office itself still exists, but I think the gift does exist. Now, you, you may disagree. One thing that's persuasive for me, and it's, a, it's an argument from silence, which I know isn't the best way to argue, but um, there is great qualifications written in the New Testament for pastors. Character qualifications, gift qualifications. There is nothing there for apostles after that original group. They had to see the risen Christ. They had to be with Jesus. Um, so you, you'll read in Acts 1, you can wrestle through that. But I think the gift of these sent, extra local, bold with evangelism and starting churches and ministries, I think that's a real gift and you can see that. But in the Bible, those gifts weren't celebrity kind of gifts. They were servant gifts. These guys sacrificed and, and many of them ended up in prison and beaten and, and some died for the faith. So, that, so throw out like modern day celebrity pastor, think these, these evangelistic church starting, movement starting, ministry starting called people that are humble servant leaders. I, I think that's a thing. And we want to pray that the Lord would raise up many, many, many more like that. So apostles. Um, and then he, then he mentions second prophets. God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers. So apostles we covered. Prophets had this unique, seems like this unique calling to proclaim God's word, and, and be very specific in certain situations. We read this in Acts 13, 1. Now there were in the church of Antioch prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manaean, a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. So they had this category of prophets and teachers. And, and we're going to, as we get into ch chapter 14, we're going to kind of dive into the details of prophets. Um, but do a search through the book of Acts, and you'll see there are prophets and prophetically gifted people. So look up um, Agabus, look up Philip's daughters, and you'll see, and, and just wrestle through these things. And remember, at the outset of this spiritual gift series, our position is that the gifts of the Spirit exist. They have not ceased. And so we want to properly understand them. We want to uh, stay within the bounds of Scripture in our use of those. So let's wrestle through those things together. Like I said, we're going to take a month break from spiritual gifts. So as questions and thoughts are, are churning in your mind, we would love to interact with you on those questions. And then we get to the subject of teachers. That, that seems pretty straightforward. But the debate among teachers is, is this pastor teacher or is this another, another calling? And so, once again, the smart people are divided on that, but it's clear they're, they're teachers who are bringing God's word in great clarity. And remember that when the Apostle Paul wrote 1 Corinthians, they didn't have these 27 New Testament books that we have. They, it's not like they were holding them and reading them. So the teachers were really strategic to, to show primarily probably from the Old Testament how Jesus was the Messiah and the implications that, that come through that. But the context here isn't to rank and elevate 
but it's to remind them that they're all part of the body. There's different callings, different appointments, and then we'll transition here to different spiritual gifts. But before we do that, uh, Paul writes in Ephesians, he has a, a little bit broader list than the one that I just mentioned. So look at Ephesians 4, 11 and 12. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and now we have another category, and the shepherds and the teachers. So there's debate, is that one or is that two? I'll let you decide. But here's the point. All of these callings and appointments have a very specific aim, and verse 12 is the very specific aim. To equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. So these gifted positions, these callings, these appointments, they have a, a very specific aim, which is to strengthen and build up the church, the body of Christ. Why? So that you all can do the work of ministry. That's the aim. See, we get kind of spun around and go the wrong direction, but the whole idea is that what, whatever these callings and appointments are, they are for the good of the church as a whole. They're not to celebrate those appointments or offices. They're to equip the saints for the work of ministry so that we can make a greater and greater impact in our region. So back to our verse 28. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, gifts of healing, helping, administrating various kinds of tongues. We've talked about most of these, um, but let's get into the, the most uncomfortable one, the, the gift of tongues. So what's interesting about this gift list, and Paul does this several times in this section, is he puts the gift of tongues at the tail end of the gift list. And one of the reasons that, that people believe he did that is because the people that were speaking in tongues in Corinth were very proud about it at times. And so he's saying, it's, it's a thing, and we're going to talk about it in a moment, so don't worry, but it's not the thing. It's a gift, but it's not the gift. It's not the only gift. And so let's talk about this. Let's talk about what is the gift of tongues. And once again, we want you to be like Bereans and study the scriptures for yourself. So our position is spiritual gifts have not ceased. I think it's a very persuasive position in the New Testament. So if that is the case, then tongues are included. We're going to get dive into this more in July. But let me just give you some things to think about. In the New Testament, I think there are, I personally think there are two kinds of gifts of tongues. One is a spiritual gift that God gives that a person is supernaturally enabled to speak a known language. So for example, um, I can't speak Chinese. So the spiritual gift would be if I'm in a, a room full of unbelievers or even believers who are Chinese and the Lord wants to speak, um, he fast tracks me and all of a sudden I can speak praises to God in Chinese. So that is in the Bible. So that, that one is crystal clear. Let me show you Acts 2. This is what happened on the day of Pentecost. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. So people traveled from all over to come to Jerusalem. And at the sound of the multitudes came together, 
And they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. So whatever your native language was, all of a sudden you're hearing praises to God in that language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all those who are speaking Galileans? How is it that we hear each of us in his own native language? Parthians, Medes, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, and parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians. We hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. So that happened. That was a real thing. And God did that. That was a supernatural encounter. That was, as we learn in Acts, that was the fulfillment of Joel chapter 2, the prophecy that was spoken long ago. So that, that's one category of tongues in the New Testament. The second category, which I think is, is a bit different, um, which is primarily discussed in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, is this gift of a heavenly language that God gives to Christians at times for the personal building up of the Christian. I want you to be persuaded. I want you to read chapter 14 of 1 Corinthians and read about the gift of tongues. And Paul has very um, kind of strict parameters for the gift of tongues because his whole point is if it's a private gift between you and the Lord, then when the church gathers, it should be used privately to build up the individual Christian. And then the one exception is what he's talking about in verse uh, 28 is if somebody has the gift of interpretation. So somebody has this private use. And so the gift of interpretation really would be the gift of hearing. And so someone says a supernatural language and someone interprets it. Now this whole thing may have spun you around in a big old circle. Um, and if it has, it probably has spun you around because you've had negative experiences with uh, the charismatic gifts. Um, a lot of us in this room have had negative experiences. What always brings me back is what does the Bible say about this subject? Many of us have also had positive experience. I've had very positive experiences with the spiritual gift of tongues as well. And so we want to understand it biblically and we want to pursue it biblically. And if there's a gift that builds up an individual Christian and strengthens them from the inside out, from the Holy Spirit, that's a good gift. And so we want to be open to all that God has for us. Now, there are brothers and sisters in Christ all throughout the world who have different opinions on this subject. This is where we land on the subject because we, we see it in the scriptures and we want to pursue it rightly. So if that piques your interest or you have a strong aversion to it. Either way, I would really encourage you to kind of work through it, through the scriptures, especially chapter 14, because we're going to get into the details there. But all of the gifts are gifts for God's people to be shared and to encourage one another. So I know that one might raise questions. We would love to uh, talk through those things with you. Let's go back to the rhetorical questions in verse 29, though. Are all apostles? No, they're not. Are all prophets? No, they're not. Are all teachers? No, they're not. Do all work miracles? 
No, they don't. Do all possess the gifts of healing? No, they do. Do not. Do all speak in tongues? No, they do not. Do all interpret? No, they do not. But you could also say, are some apostles? Yes, they are. Are some prophets? Yes, they are. Are some teachers? Yes, they are. Do some experience and work miracles? Yes, they do. Do some possess the gift of healing when they pray for people? Yes, they do. Do some speak in tongues? Yes, they do. And do some have the gift of interpretation? Absolutely, yes, they do. And Paul reminds us in 1 Corinthians 12, 4 through 7, the purpose Now there are a variety of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are a variety of services, but the same Lord. There are a variety of activities, but it's the same God who empowers them all and every one. And here's the reason for all gifts. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. Okay, final point on the, the last verse of this chapter. We must earnestly pursue and desire the gifts that build up the church and seek to love one another. So we, we want to we pursue gifts, not for our own glory, not for our own benefit, but for the good of the whole. And we want to do so with a motivation of love, which brings us to verse 31. But earnestly desire the higher gifts, and I will show you a still more excellent way. I think that the higher gifts are the gifts that affect the whole that build up the whole. And the reason I think that is because 1 Corinthians 14, the Apostle Paul lays that out very strongly. Pursue the gifts that build up the whole of the church. And then he says, I will still show you a more excellent way. The more excellent way is, he's talking about our motivation. I'm gonna give you a little peek into where we're heading next week because the more excellent way has everything to do with our motives. See, think of where you live. You could have two neighbors doing the exact same thing and one could be doing it for a selfish motive and one could be doing it for a pure motive. So let's say you live in a neighborhood, you have three houses and um, one neighbor is always mowing the neighbors, the elderly neighbor's lawn. But does it at the peak of day with the peak of traffic, and uh, seems like they have their phone in their hand more than the lawnmower, and they're you're just putting on Instagram kind of nonstop, like, look at me, I'm helping my neighbor. So that they're doing something nice, but they're doing it for their own glory. Now there's another neighbor on the other side doing the exact same thing, mowing, weed eating, um, just doing menial things for the same elderly neighbor, but no one knows about it. No one knows about it except the elderly neighbor. See, their motivation is one of service and love. And so the Apostle Paul is going to get into this more and more. But listen to what he says. This is our sneak preview for next week. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels but have not love, I am a noising gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have these supernatural gifts but I have not love, I'm just this noisy gong. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all the mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have faith so as to remove mountains, the kind of faith Jesus encouraged, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all that I have and I deliver up my body to be burned, I become a martyr, but have not love, I 
gain nothing. See, God has made us part of his body. He has given us gifts. He has given you gifts. And he wants you to use those for his glory, motivated by his love. So let's stand and pray and the band can come up and lead us in a final song. Jesus, we thank you so much that you gave up yourself so that we could become part of your body and represent you. Lord, where, where our motives are messed up or out of line, we ask for adjustment, correction. Holy Spirit, would you pour out your spirit in such a way that the love of Christ would amaze us and overwhelm us freshly and motivate us to use our gifts for your glory, for the good of others. And may you receive all the attention and all the fame that you alone deserve and are worthy of. And we will praise you for it. And we ask this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.